the word this week comes from Ephesians 2, verses 12 to 13 and 15 to 18. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, great. Yeah, grab a seat. Um, uh, squeeze in if you can. We've got uh, a full house today. Uh, my name is Matthew. I serve as the pastor here at Christ City Church. Um, just want to jump in. I'm really excited uh, to be here. I was sharing with uh, some folks earlier and throughout the week. Um, I, it's been quite some time since I've been as excited about stepping into a new year as I am about stepping into 2018. And there's not a whole lot of things like that I can look at and be like, oh, this thing's going to happen to me this year. There's just a, just a general sense of having finished 2017 it, really well as a family and as a church and in and, and our neighborhood and, and just saying, Lord, I, I, I want more of that. And, and just this anticipation of what's up ahead. So um, I, I don't know how you finished last year or what 2018 um, means for you or for what's up ahead, but, but it just, I want you to share in my excitement too. If you need to borrow it, I'll, I'll share some with you. Uh, because I do have this sense that the, just an anticipation of what's up ahead for us this year and, and, and where that journey's going to go. So I, I just, by way of just statement, just want to share that with you. One of the things I want to touch on that we want to touch on today and then also next week is uh, deal with a, a little bit of our vision statement here at Christ City Church. Our, our vision statement is to see the kingdom of God on display in D.C. in every life and in every sphere of life. Um, over the next two weeks, what we want to focus on is what we mean by every life and then what we mean by every sphere of life. This week, I want to deal with the every life piece of it. Next week, Justin's going to deal with the, uh, with the every sphere of life. I just want to begin with a story. This is a, just a generic story. This is not about an individual, but you may identify with the story. The uh, story is about Alex. Alex grew up, we'll just say she grew up in Colorado. Uh, she grew up in a Fine family, family went to church periodically, kind of throughout the year, Christmas, Easter, maybe a wedding, uh, funeral here or there. Uh, she grew up fine, sort of uneventful uh, upbringing, uh, goes away to college. She does reasonably well at college. Uh, she finishes sort of kind of top tier at, at her class. College is a, is a place that's kind of fun for her. She does really well there. Um, she does well socially, makes friends, uh, uh, does well academically. Uh, during the summers, she does internships with some really great agencies, does a study abroad, gets exposed to uh, uh, other countries and sort of other cultures for the first time, and really, uh, in many ways, uh, finds herself there. Um, while she's also there, by the way, she um, runs into a, a group of folks that, uh, that are Christians. Uh, they introduce her to, to faith in Christ. She begins uh, reading the Bible. She sort of grows in her faith and has this Christian memory from, from growing up that really begins to flourish there. Uh, and just is actually, it's, a, it's quite a good, rich season for her. She finishes um, college. Maybe she takes a gap year, uh, goes overseas, and uh, works with an agency to care for, for uh, women who are marginalized and has a, just a, a life-changing sort of 
season there, comes back uh, to the States where she uh, starts uh, grad school, uh, internal, international affairs. Again, she excels academically. She uh, excels um, uh, just in her program, get some other internships, some other connections that go really well for her. Um, but the thing is, uh, there's some uh, things that begin to sort of fray a little bit. Relationships aren't as strong. She's not able to make uh, friends as easily as she did in college. But, you know, it's grad school, so it's only like a year, year and a half long. So she sort of shoulders on through it. Faith isn't as much sort of rooted and grounded there. Um, at graduation, she begins to look for her dream job that sort of harnesses some of the passions that had begun to percolate when she was in college and during her time abroad and other, other places. She makes her way to DC. She lands a job. It's not exactly like in her wheelhouse or what she's passionate about, but it's a job. And so it's sort of close enough and it pays okay. And, um, and she just begins the grind. The grind of sort of, you know, Monday through Friday, you know, long hours, work hard, play hard, sort of the, the, the DC type A life. But the zeal isn't quite what it once was. Uh, relationships, they're, I mean, they're just sort of underwhelming and community is just kind of meh, like, it's just kind of hard to make connections. Um, and faith is, is really floundering. And to a degree, the, the more time that goes, Alex looks back and sees faith as uh, maybe something that was just sort of a, like a fling when she was younger. She's not sure what to make of it. And then, uh, you know, a Halloween party. Uh, I don't know why I chose a Halloween party for the story, but we'll just make it a Halloween party. Seems sort of not a very Christian story, but we'll just say a Halloween party. She bumps into a friend at college, you know, maybe from college or from uh, where she grew up, and uh, they catch up. They grab coffee. The friend in introduces her to some of her other uh, friends, and a few happy hours and dinner parties later, Alex's sort of friend circle is, uh, has grown, and what she notices is that um, this friend circle, they all are a part of a, of a small group. We'll just say they're at a small group uh, here at Christ City. <laughs> Small group start this week. See what I, see what I did there? Right, we're putting it together. Um, but, but there's something, there's sort of a zeal and, and, and almost a matter-of-factness about their faith and a thoughtfulness, and it reminds her of the better parts of her faith when she was thriving spiritually in college. Uh, and so, so she starts to attend and she begins to flourish and it strikes her that just at the point where she was beginning to think that maybe faith and relationships and community weren't in the cards for her, that it was at that point and that happenstance uh, at a party that God intervenes and intersects her story and takes her on a very different story. Now the thing is, I know as I'm telling that, some of you are like, hey, Watson's telling my story, but he didn't get my permission. I'm not telling your story, but I am telling your stories. Because I do know your stories, because some of you have told me. Some of you have, like, like Facebooked about it. Like, I know sort of where you've been, that this has been a part of your story, that, that what has happened in Alex's life is that through the work of the Holy Spirit and uh, through uh, Alex's friends and uh, parties and uh, happy hours and whatever else, like whatever ways we connect in this city, that the space in Alex's life um, has begun to be occupied in increasing measure by what we would call the kingdom of God. That it's, that it's come to sort of settle in her life. The, the, what we mean is, is sort of the rule and reign of Jesus is, is beginning to, to grow in her life. She was more and more becoming spiritually, spiritually alive and in Christ. And she was become spiritually uh, alive in the, the ways that the Spirit would lead her. And that coming alive in Christ, that growing in faith, that's what we mean when we say that we want to see God's kingdom come in every life. That we want to see this, this coming aliveness that happens because of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of someone. 
That we, that we long to see the kingdom come not just on earth, but in your life as it is in heaven. This is what we mean when we say our vision for D.C. is to see every life transformed by the power of Jesus. So how uh, does the kingdom of God come in a life? Now, the kingdom of God, let me just sort of define this for a bit. We've talked about this at different points, but let me just say, this is where Jesus is, is, is ruling. It's where Jesus is, is reigning. It's where, as Dallas Willard would say, would say where the things uh, are as God meant for them to be and where what God wants done is done. So kingdom, this kingdom is made possible because of Christ's death and his resurrection. And the kingdom is actually ushered in and it moves along by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is sort of what we're meaning. So how does the kingdom of God come into a life? It comes into a life through the work of the Spirit in cooperation with people. So how does the kingdom break in? The Spirit is like, a, it's like this, uh, this is a terrible illustration. I'll regret it later. But he's like the matchmaker. He's the one that's moving and sort of orchestrating the ways that things work so that he can see the inbreaking kingdom of God in the life of every person and every sphere of life as well. Because the kingdom of God, and it's initiated, it begins with the work of the Holy Spirit because it's a spiritual work. It's not something that we can drum up on our own. If it were uh, something that we did, then all of the good news would be about us, not about God. This is actually some of the best news for us, that it's initiated by the Spirit and not by us. If we fall into the thinking that the kingdom comes into a life or into our world by our work, then we will begin to think much of ourselves and less of God. But the work of the kingdom is always initiated by God himself. And the inbreaking in a kingdom, whether it be in a life or of a person or in the sphere of a world, then the inbreaking kingdom is always initiated by God. And we pray the Lord's Prayer every week here at Christ City, praying for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And that earthly movement of God's heavenly kingdom is initiated by the one who rules that kingdom. But... God, most times, not all the time, but most of the time, God uses people to participate in the inbreaking of that kingdom. He uses us. He uses me and you and others that are outside of this. The kingdom coming in a life and in every sphere of life is a kingdom that is on the move through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working through the lives of everyday, ordinary folks like you and like me. In Alex's story, it was meeting a friend at a party. It was connecting with somebody at a happy hour over coffee. And, uh, it, but your story, it may be different. Maybe it wasn't through a college friend or a work colleague. Maybe you found your way here through social media or through Google or however it is that you found your way here. And maybe you didn't, have a, uh, you didn't start with a, with a foundation of faith. You just came in here like, I don't know what this is, but I'm interested in what's going on. And so you found your way here. However it is that you found your way here, what kept you here were people, was the Holy Spirit working through others who became, who surrounded you and who pointed you towards the one who knows you better than you know yourself. You fell in love with that one, with, with Jesus, and your life is different, not different like a different job or a different vocation, but different in a deeper sense of it, because it was the work of the Holy Spirit and the participation of others that came around with you. And this pattern of, by the way, this pattern of like a God initiating people participating work, it's not just unique or new with us now. This is actually a pattern that we see in Scripture. In a few weeks, um, we're going to begin a, a, a long series in the Gospel of John. And so we spent a bunch of hours, uh, Justin and I and uh, Justin Henry at 
theological library and we were just doing a bunch of research about it. And so just a teaser, like as we're moving through that and preparing for that, this pattern of the spirit initiating, but people participating, it just comes up over and over and over, even at the outset of it. In John 1, uh, at the beginning, John the Baptist, he's led by the Holy Spirit to call people to spiritual fidelity to God in anticipation of the Messiah's coming. Uh, and he sees Jesus, he recognizes him as the one who is going to rescue. And then he tells others, he says, look, there's the Lamb of God. He says, look, look over there. This is it. Let me tell you about it. The Spirit has initiated something. Now he's going to use me. And I'm going to tell you, look, there's the one that's going to rescue us. Some of John's followers begin to follow Jesus at Jesus' own invitation. Jesus says, come, follow me. It's very invitational. Andrew, Peter's brother, is actually uh, among the first followers of Jesus. He was a follower of John. Then he leaves John, begins to follow Jesus, and he says, no, this is the one. This is the one that's going to rescue us. And so then Andrew goes and he tells his brother John, in verse 41, he says, we have found the Messiah. And so if you're keeping track at this point now, it's John saying, he's the one you should follow. Andrew follows him. Andrew then turns and looks at his brother and says, no, he is the one to follow. It was spirit-initiated, but at every point there was a person that participated in that and said, look, look at what we found. We found the one that's going to rescue us. We found the one around which we can order our lives and our world. <coughs> Philip and Nathaniel. Philip begins following Jesus, and he tells Nathaniel, listen, he's the one. He's the one that's going to rescue. Nathaniel's like, I'm not sure. He comes from a terrible place. It's like, <laughs> Philip says, no, come and see. An invitation. It's always extended. It's always extended. Come and see. Come and see. Jesus himself, he says in Matthew 11, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This pattern is almost always this. The Spirit begins working and wooing in the life of a person, and then God uses another person to extend the invitation into the kingdom by way of faith in Jesus. God initiates, but we participate. And this work, it's a spiritual work. It's not the hard work of our own hands, but, a, but the gentle work of a move of God. Come and see, come and see, come and see. That's the cadence and the rhythm of the first church. God is the initiator, but we participate. And so the question then begins to burn for us, so who? So who is it for you? In whose life is God working that you know? And God is wanting you to participate and his work in their life. And whose life is God using you? Here's the thing that's tricky about this. God is actually at work in every person's life that you know. And so you're like, oh my God, like, like 2,000 friends on Facebook. Like, I don't know, what, 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 else, what am I going to do here? Like, I'm overwhelmed by it. The thing is, it's for us to have ears and eyes to see where he's working and where he wants us to participate. Because it's not ours to do everything. But it is ours to do something. And so there is a, a measure of discernment to say, God, where are you working and where do you want me to step? And to what relationship do you want me to speak? And whose life is God working and asking you to join him in the work to see the kingdom come in their life as it is in heaven? And look, the thing about this, though, it's not our job to convince anyone of anything, by the way. Like, it, like it's not our job to convince anyone. God is at work drawing and wooing and rescuing and convicting our sin, convicting of sin. But the Spirit is the one that's calling people to fall in love with him and to surrender the frustrating ruts of our life and the ways that we're living to him. God is the one that's actually painting the beautiful picture of what life is like when lived with him. It's not our job to convince. It is our job, though, to live lives of curiosity. 
to live lives of, of hospitality and purpose and to live intentionally with, with joy, that these are the ways that we participate with God in his work. And, and think of it this way. This isn't unique with me or new to me, but um, what does it mean for me to be a character in my neighborhood in the story that God is telling in my neighborhood? How was it for me to be a character that would cause, if you were reading the story, that would cause readers to want to pause and say, I want to know more about that character in this story? What does it mean for you to be a character in your neighborhood? Um, this is, it, for me personally, I'll just tell you a little bit. So some of you that don't know, I'm, I'm actually an introvert, which is really tough. Uh, you know, I'm a professional extrovert, but I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert. In my neighborhood, my neighborhood, if a neighborhood was to have a personality, mine would be certainly absolutely be an extroverted neighborhood. Uh, which, so there's always a party, and I love watching them party sort of out my window. <laughs> this deep conviction, like, I should go out there. There's a lot of people I don't know. It feels painful. <laughs> so I'll go out there. You know, our, neighbor, our neighborhood has a lot of parties. We go to those parties, and I'm always like, all right, who's the, you know, I don't want to be in the masses. Like, who's the one guy or somebody I can kind of peel off in the corner and, like, have a more meaningful conversation with and just kind of hide. Um, so there's a guy in our neighborhood. I call him Nick. Nick is a, is a realtor. And um, he knows that I'm a pastor. And sometimes when our neighbors find out uh, that, that I'm a pastor, they, it's either like, oh, gosh, like, you know, sort of let me get away from you. Or it's like I would just say I'm a circus clown. And they're like, really? That is fascinating. Tell me about that. <laughs> the majority of our neighbors view me as a circus clown. They're like, what? I've never met one of your kind before. Like, how does it work on your land? You know, like, it's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of like that. So Nick has been like this. Every time we're together, Nick, you know, like we're playing cornhole or whatever, he's like, hey, f abandon this game. I need to tell me about what it's like to be a pastor. Now, Nick is a real estate agent. And so I'm like, well, and I don't know, like, is he, like, trying to sell me a house or is he really interested? Like, I can't even discern, okay, God, I know that you're at work, but is this what it looks like? Because I'm not sure if I'm about to be like, hey, fill out some documents. You know, I don't know what's going to happen here. But every time we sit down, the first time I met Nick um, was after a party that we'd had at our house. And um, we had a, a great party. We barbecued a bunch of food. People came over. Some of our neighbors came over. And then afterwards, I saw Nick at another party uh, in our neighborhood. And he said, hey, I heard that you throw better parties than I do. I said, yes. And he said, I also heard apparently you have a church full of young people and that you barbecue really well and your drinks were better at your party. I need to come to your church. I said, yes to all of those things. And you should come to my church, Nick. <laughs> he goes, okay. Flash forward this past uh, Christmas. There was a Christmas party a couple of doors down at, at some other neighbor's house. And Nick is sitting next to me. And for 30 minutes, he's asking me about what it is to be a pastor, about how do I pastor? Wh what role does politics play in it? And how do I speak? And just, I mean, he's asking because he, he's like, I don't understand what to make of this. And I said, Nick, here's the thing. I said, you sell real estate. I said, do you know that there's coming a day when everyone that wants a house is going to be able to have a house? That actually God is fashioning together in the day to come when, when everyone has a house. Where, every, where people are able to, to eat the things, uh, nobody goes without anything. And so what we're just trying to do is point people to the day to come when everyone has a table around which everyone is welcome and everyone can sit. I said, so Nick, every time you sell a house, whether you know it or not, what you're doing is you're actually participating in this larger story that God is writing. He's like, really? I never thought of it that way. I was just trying to Get a little cheddar to leave for my kids, you know. <laughs> so that's part of it, too. Because in the day to come, we all get an inheritance. Because that's part of the story that God is writing, too. That God is leaving a tremendous inheritance for all of his children. So you're part of that story, too, Nick. I'm not trying to convince Nick of one thing or another. I hope that he comes. His real name isn't Nick, so if he shows up, you won't know, oh, if that's him. 
But I do want him to see the way that his story fits into the larger story of what God is doing. It's not our job to convince, but it is our job to be storytellers of the story that God is writing and that all of us are invited into. So, what, um, maybe one other story, I'll tell you this one. Um, I have a friend, uh, Daniel. Some of you guys know Daniel Harris. He's, he's spoken here before. Daniel is an absolute cigar connoisseur. Every time I'm around Daniel, he's like, hey, will you smoke cigars with me? I'm like, I don't like to smoke cigars, Daniel. Like, it makes my clothes stink. It makes me cough. Like, I had asthma when I was six. And like, I don't know. I, I get flashbacks. But Daniel <laughs> loves them. I would ask Daniel about, well, what's the difference between this kind and that kind? And can you tell the difference between a Nicaraguan and a Dominican cigar? And he's like, oh, absolutely. It's this and that and the other. And he's talking to me about mouthfeel and what he loves about them and why he likes one on certain times of the day and others he likes at different times. And I'm like, man, I don't get it. Like, I'll walk in to the cigar shop with you, and it's like a smoke-filled room. I can't tell one thing from another. And I'm like, give me a short one, because I don't want to be here very long. Like, <laughs> I'm not even sure what they're called. And it's like, no, it's... Well, then at one point, a few years ago, Lisa and I had the chance to travel to, uh, with Lisa's family to Cuba. Um, some of you know Lisa's family is originally from Cuba, so we got to go down there. And it wasn't until I saw the tobacco fields. And I got a chance to see, oh, this is it. And I got a chance to see the... the um, the drying houses, where once they slice it at a certain time, then they hang them there, and the kind of twine that they hang them with, and why humidity and temperature is so important in <coughs> cigar making. I saw how they cut the leaves, and how they flatten them, and how they dry them, and then, and then how they roll them. And then at some point, um, I began to really understand the artistry of it all, and the, and the earthiness of it, and the, began, and the celebration of it that accompanies uh, cigar making and smoking in Cuba. And then I met a guy, I don't, I don't know his name, he was at the Cohiba store. That's him holding a massive cigar. And he talked me through the tobacco types. And he walked me through the smoking experience and how the shape affects the smoke and um, the interplay of the humidity and the temperature and uh, the smoke. And he helped me understand what it, what it, how to smoke a cigar and how to enjoy it. And when I got back to the States and smoked again with Daniel, it was just different. It was just, a, it was a, it was a, I had a better sense of what it meant to be a cigar smoker. And Daniel wasn't trying to convince me, and, and uh, you know, the Cohiba guy, yeah, he would love for me to, to buy cigars, but really he was just, there was something that he loved. He just wanted to share with whoever would come through his uh, bodega the things that he loved. Because this was something that came from his country and even from his own hometown, and he wanted to, to share that with me. And yeah, he wanted me to buy cigars, and he wanted me to buy a lot. Uh, and I said, no, lest I be tempted to smuggle illegal cigars into the U.S., which is wrong. <laughs> the thing is, it's not our job to convince. It's a work of the Spirit. It is our job to participate so that we can see the kingdom come in every life in D.C., as it is in heaven. Church, here's the thing. We, we've actually got quite a good thing going here at Christ City. I, my biased opinion. We have a rich community. The Spirit's at work in our midst. Some of you, I mean, if we, we've opened it up a few weeks ago of testimonies, and some of you, like, it just went on and on because of the ways that God is at work in your life. I mean, our small groups. We have, we have favor here in Ward 6 more than we deserve for a church of our size or our age. Just God is at work, and this is a good thing that's happening here. 
God has been good to us, but the thing is, it isn't just for us. I know some of you are like, oh, I don't have a chair coming in. We're not packed enough. There's still those that you know right now. You don't have to think very long or very hard. Those that you know that are far from the Lord, that are aching for what you experience in your community and in this place, and that the Spirit is at work, and there's a story that they can't quite make heads or tails of, but you know the answer to. You say, this is the story of God, and this is where your story fits into it. We can't become comfortable because we found our place or our tribe or our community. We can't become satisfied that we're here knowing that there are others, others that we know who remain far from God and from the life that Christ offers. So church, let us lift our heads this year. And let's see those in our spheres of influence that God is asking us to come alongside and share our own story of faith with, pointing them and ourselves towards God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And by God's grace and plan and purpose, longing to see that take root in every life and every sphere of life. And this is what we mean. And these are the things to which we're praying and working for. Let me pray for us. Lord, I, Lord you're, you're, you are beautiful. And God, I pray that as we, as we move through this year, that we would, as a community, be ever captivated by the beauty of God. And God, in those places where we see your beauty neglected or marred or broken or dismantled, God, I pray that, that you would find us running into those places, that you would find us being heralds and storytellers and harbingers and participating in your healing and reweaving work in those places. God, as we give reflection into what it means for your life to come into the lives of individuals, God, I pray that you would stir us. Spirit, that you would, that you would, that you would break out, that you would break out in our hearts, Lord, that you, that you would bring to us a, a, a fire. Lord, when we said who, when that question was posed, Lord, there was a name. There was a person. Somebody maybe that we're going to see even later today or later this week. God, I pray that, that our first step would just to begin to pray for them. That we would pray for your kingdom to come in their life as it is in heaven. Lord, it's a, it's a work that you will do. It's a work that you're doing. And God, in whatever ways you want us to participate in that, I pray that you would find us marshalling our courage and creativity. That you would find us taking risks. That you would find us trusting in you, not our own winsome or whimsy words. God, I pray that we would live curious lives in our neighborhoods. And we would be, be a curious character in the story that you are telling and that you're trying to tell in our neighborhood. 
what the curiosity would be because of the work that you're doing in our lives. So Lord, move us forward into it. Show us how to participate in this vision. Not under our own strength, but of yours. In Christ's name, amen.